Hey guys, and welcome to FTK Q&A session 18. This week is a special Q&A session with the Balance Runner. How are you going? <laughs> Good. Thanks for having me, guys. No one actually so, knows what your name is. That's why. <laughs> I didn't want to intro your name. <laughs> no one knows. Yeah, no, I think people just um, email me at, at the Balance Runner. <laughs> <Yeah>. You were <laughs> born TBR. Yeah. <laughs> You're like um, heaps good runners. Like This is a reveal show. <laughs> <laughs> the identity. I am Sinead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, so what actually is your name? Uh, I've got no idea. No. <laughs> uh, my name is Paul McKinnon. There you go. How you going, Paul? Yeah, really well. It's just a nice place here. It's got some... Uh, Nice plants around. I feel pretty comfortable. Good. Perfect. Yeah. We've stuffed you around trying to get the uh, interface working, so we've wasted half your day already. But we will uh, – let's just kick straight into things. Um, I wanted to start this episode just by asking you pretty much – Wait, how- let's tell people who Paul is first as well. Like, I think every, if you don't know who Paul is, get the hell off our podcast. Well, you didn't even know my first name. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that, was my, that was part of my joke. <laughs> Sorry. Go on, Brent. Intro him. I don't know, Paul just tells me to fix my arms. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good start point. Uh, yeah. Paul, do you want to intro yourself? Oh, that's a bit rough. What, what, <laughs> what, what, do you, what is your profession? What would you say? So like I'm, my explain is I'm a, speci- a specialist in running technique. Yeah. Um, so whether it be middle distance, distance, or even interspeed stuff. So anything that in- involves like movement patterns for running, that's what I specialize in. And so people, elite, well, all levels come and see you for technique and to do with injury but also performance as well? Yeah, so it's, it's about um, the retraining side or the improvement, whether it be from an injury background or for a, um, a performance background. It's all pretty similar. Like it's all on the same spectrum. It's almost like just where do you start? So where you're starting on that spectrum just determines like, you know, where we start as well. Yeah. But at all, you know, like if you, if you get uninjured, you can still then get improvement from it. And Definitely. it could be similar movement pattern improvements in, in where we start from. It's just where you're starting from in your, in your running journey, yeah. I guess. Yeah. yeah. All right, Joel, you can – now we've done that intro. You've done that you big can, intro. I can get straight into my first question. How did you get to where you are now? Was it like what, – what was the transition from, say, university? What did you study at uni? When did you know that you wanted to do this for a career? Take us through like, yeah. yeah. Take wow. us through your, your last 30 years of life. Yeah. So like, <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and still have some on top of that, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. like um, university, um, PE teaching. So I did a teaching degree with sports science as a um, as the minor. But the interest in running as a, you know, as a biomechanic, as a movement pattern probably goes back to when I was like 15, 16. I used to, you know, I'm fellow Canberran, so you're you're outnumbered. Now. <laughs> finally, um, yeah, finally, <laughs> first time ever. <laughs> um, running out on the fire trails, like around you know Mount Mount Majura and Mount Ainsley. Yeah. Uh, at that younger age, like listening to what sounds I was making, and then starting to understand what movements I was making because the sounds were off, and starting to manipulate and change like arm swing and arm pattern or, or body position and how that actually influences and affects. So that started when I was like a teenager. Just on so, your own interest. Yeah, just on my right? own, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, it was just, it didn't make sense to me. Like, I don't know, I've probably got a, a, like a bit of a, you know, quizzical mind. It's like, well, why? that shouldn't be right. Mm. Um, so that's probably what it started in, in the running capacity. And I think also, also I remember saying to a couple of friends that even at a young age, you know, when you get asked about, you know, what sport would you do if you could do anything? I was playing hockey. So, yeah. you know, I like had running involved in it. So I really enjoyed that part of training. But I remember saying instead of, you know, 
tennis player, golf player. I remember saying, like, I'd, I'd love to be an elite 10K runner, which people look at you and go, you fucking dumb. <laughs> you know, like, there's no money in that. But it was just something that I was really interested in. So the movement and the capacity to change it and then leading into teaching for university then just started to give me, like, a bit more of a background and understanding of what it, what best case would be but then started to question how was it coached, uh, which – you know, started to ask those questions like, you know, you run tall, you lean forward, like which one is it? Because they kind of contradict mm. each other and all this started to make me realise that it probably wasn't done as well as what it maybe could have been. Um, at the same time, met a guy in, in Canberra who does um, something similar and learned a lot from him and then just started to kind of develop it from there as well, just sort of, you know, how and what and... Um, yeah, just how to retrain better. So get someone from where they are now to actually improve it in the best and easiest case for that individual. Um, yeah, but then that took probably a good 12 or 14 years while I was playing hockey just to kind of test it and I had friends who were probably like the, um, the guinea pigs and, you know, kind of worked through that process. And it wasn't until I finished playing hockey overseas that I started to work with more athletes and it's just kind of built from then. You played hockey overseas? Yeah, so I played six years professionally in Europe. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I was like five years in, in Holland, uh, one year in Spain, but played like National League here in, in Australia. So that's why we do all your sessions on the hockey. Yeah, well, that's, <laughs> yeah. That, was, that was the home ground. It's just, it's free, it's flat, it's really good. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's where I know it. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so I played National League here for like 16 years from when I was like 17, 18, all the way through to early 30s. And I find that so interesting, you saying that, you know, you, the first time you sort of had this awareness when you were out running, you know, in camera when you're like 16, and I'm just like picturing like imagine Brett or myself, like all we cared about was like being as fast as we could when yeah. we were young. Imagine you like going like in the forest and you're like, how does that connect and how does that like, <laughs> not, a, not a chance. And but, that's why we are not in your position. No, but now he does. As I said before, it's yeah, like, no, all dude. I think about. You've converted. Yeah, yeah. 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 But, but I think because it became, the beauty about running is like it's your body on the ground yeah. and how you move and how you hold yourself directly correlates to how you relate to the ground mm. and that becomes really responsive of, of good and bad change or positive and, and, and not so positive changes so you can actually feel it once you start to understand what it should feel like or what good or bad does feel and then then it becomes like this really cool connection and how good does it feel when you are in that like kind of state of doing things the right way and you're just floating along yeah. without yeah. even trying. Like yeah. It becomes effortless. It does. And yeah. that, that effortless and that floating becomes almost like you can slow things down. Yeah. And once you can slow things down within running, that's when you can really control them mm. and then you can maintain them and be consistent with it even at pace because it is sub-maximal. Like I don't care what you say. Like you guys are running phenomenally fast but it's still sub-maximal. Yeah. 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 You know, like so it shouldn't be – out of control. Some of those, the back end of those Waverly sessions don't feel so maximal. <laughs> that's for sure. Yeah. I know I, what you mean. I can imagine. Yeah, yeah, because you're going. fatigued yeah. then for sure. Yeah. And, that, and that's a different part that you need to deal with and that's why you train at that, um, to that extent at that pace. Yeah. But it's still not sprinting 100 metres. Like no. It's still not flat out. So it's like how can I get the best version for the minimal amount of movement and therefore the minimal amount of effort. Hmm. So that's what like I really love that side of it and seeing it and helping improve it. And even, you know, for my own running, which I'm glad we don't go through our weekly mileage on this one. <laughs> yeah. um, it's it's, it's, not, it's not so great at the moment. <laughs> you might beat me. Nah, well, well, nah, it's a bit hard to combine. I went back to hockey 
um, after COVID just to, you know, be around other people. Struggle to combine consistent running training with hockey when you're not doing all like the strength and conditioning and, sure. you know, you train on the Thursday, plan a Saturday. I'm cooked till about Tuesday. Yeah. So I'm not getting too much running in between <laughs> Saturday and Thursday again. So yeah, Hockey's so. so hard. Have you played hockey, Brett? Uh, I played like... Was it Minky? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> which is like bench hockey when you're like no, <laughs> mate. When you're five, six years old, it's like the introduction. Oh, it's almost yeah. like it's so like, like Oski. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah oh, it's okay. the same yeah. thing. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Um, but my family, our families know each other from hockey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's the, about one. You both just you both look yeah. like hockey fan, like fan, <laughs> hockey boys. Because I'm raising. <laughs> I don't know what that means. You just do. Um, so when did when did Paul become the balance runner? Like, when did that business start? It's about six years ago now. Six, so, okay. Yeah. So I moved back from Holland um, and I'd been doing some coaching with a few different athletes. Like it was like a couple of runners, a couple of triathletes, a couple of CrossFit athletes that Oof. well, CrossFit started to include a lot more running and obviously, you know, they're big athletes. So I started to have a few different athletes mm-hmm. from there. And when I got back, it was people getting interested, people getting really good results. So I thought, oh, why not? I, you know, why don't I just sort of start something and... Yeah, that's how it kind of came about the balance runner. So yeah, it's about six years ago now. What um, sports do you work with at the moment? Look, well, the majority is running. distance running. Yeah, yeah. but um, you know, if a footy player, comes yeah, some to footy you, players. Yeah. So I've got a couple of footy players that are running around at the moment that yeah. I work with, or mainly in the off season. Yeah. Do you have any sumo wrestlers? <laughs> My brain was ticking. What's the most stupid sport? You think? <laughs> Paul would have minimal impact on. Minimal impact. <laughs> um, some soccer athletes, some hockey players. Yeah, anything where uh, it is a running based sport where you need to get from A to B as best or as fast as possible. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of Does uh, hockey like throw a spanner in the works because you run with a stick? A little bit. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. And and there is often questions like, well, what do I do with it? And you're going, well, you're trying to make the best of that situation. Yeah. Like, yeah. So there's never going to be perfect, even if it's you know without hockey and it's just distance running. There's going to be asymmetries in some people's bodies and you're like, I'm not trying to match a perfect yeah, run. So this is one of my questions. Like, do you have like what the perfect technique is, perfect runner, and you're trying to get everyone to that? Or are you looking at those people and going, this is a few things that we should change? And try to get that. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say there's like a perfect technique that I'm certainly not trying to match and nor am I trying to match with anyone, you know, like a, a vision or a person in my mind. Um, but, you know, biomechanically there are best positions, best angles, you know, best ranges of motion. But then also that changes to be dependent upon pace too. Um, so it is about the individual, uh, what, you know, what are some of their limitations as well? Like it could be injury-based mm. or... Um, you know, the, the history of movement or even history of sport. So, you know, if someone like me is like a really right side dominant sport, like there's no left-handed yeah. play, or there's no left-handed um, actions in hockey. There's all the left-handed players that have to play right-handed. Mm. Really? Yeah, yeah. So you can only use one side, only hold it one certain way. There's only one side of the stick. So it's not like ice hockey. Ah. So there is those kind of influences that come out in in individuals that take up running late or, you know, even just have like habitual um, right or left heart, left side dominances. So then that comes into the individual. So yeah, yeah. certainly not trying to match to anyone, but we're still trying to get to the best case positioning of mass, ranges of motion, um, coordination or patterns of movement. Yeah, so there's similarities in that, but yeah, the individual becomes really different. Yeah, there you go. Um well, we've obviously got a bunch of listener questions, but I thought before we go into them, 
you've had a pretty exciting last six weeks. Six yeah. weeks, a month, where I was. Yeah, 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 six yeah. weeks, yeah. Yeah, you tell us about that. You're over in the States working with some pretty pretty top athletes. Yeah. Following you on Instagram was like, holy shit. Yeah, it's been pretty cool. So it's almost six months now, really, but the last yeah, six weeks has obviously been um, pretty intense. What I did. So in March of this year, I went over to um, Portland because I mean the guy that makes or designs your shoes with the alpha flies and the, and the vapor flies like I've been in touch with him a guy called Chris Cook um, he did some sessions over FaceTime and really liked how and what I did so he got me for, over for himself yeah for himself oh, really? yeah, cool. I think he's got like this really inquisitive mind about yeah. and he uses himself as like kind of like the, the go-between he's going okay well he develops and designs these shoes and wants to get the best out of these shoes for runners and elite runners, but also obviously it's a broader broader community. And he had been looking at different ways or different people who do say something similar to me globally. And I think he tried a couple other people and then he came across me and, um, and yeah, liked what I did, how I did it. And it got to the point where he goes, well, why don't you come over? I've got, you know, like a few athletes who'd like to work with you and um, or I'd like to, you to work with them and spent a couple of weeks over there. And, and just so happens that at one point he's, you know, he's giving me the schedule of who I'm going to work with. And um, I knew that um, Emily Infield I was going to work with because she's coming back from injury and a couple of other the BTC, the Bowman Track Club Elite group. So that's kind of like the, the next group down. And then he's going through this, yeah, this itinerary and like item six Goes, yeah, we're lined up with Galen Rupp for a session and then item <laughs> seven. Cool. And that was it. I was like, you don't want to, I was what? You know, like I had no idea what we we're doing. So that started in March and then I continued to work with him and Emily and a couple of those athletes over there up until yeah, going back over in, in July and, and kind of reconnecting um, in person to then be able to kind of, you know, fix a few things up before then going into world champs. So to be able to continue to work with them be there for you know the marathon while he's running and be there for the the heats while emily was um as running was really cool and yeah yeah, just kind of starting to become involved through the the um extend the the broader bowman track group which is you know all juniors and through that sub elite but i start to work with some of the others like vanessa fraser and did some stuff with woody the first time around while i was over there um but didn't reconnect while we were there this time. I mean, he had a few few different races or a few different things that he was doing. But yeah, to get involved has been pretty cool so far. Pretty cool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> obviously, Galen Rupp has a cult following and rightfully so. Yeah. I think a lot of the listeners would be very interested. Like what's something that you can tell us about Galen, whether it's like from a, the way he trains, what's like the sort of biggest insight that you got from working with Galen? Well, I was really lucky to spend a few days with him. Um, both in the training capacity, but just kind of socially as well, like after the after the marathon. And it's cool to pick his brain on, you know, a few different things, but even just to get to know him as, a, yeah. as an individual. He's a really, you know, energetic, bubbly kind of mm. fellow. Like he comes across or he's, you know, he's perceived as this. He's you know, not on social media or anything. No, nah, he doesn't, doesn't do social media. And I think like you get, particularly recently, you know, like he's a bit burnt by For sure. the um, – the what would you say just the perspective like yeah. i think and and even that it's like well why am i going to put myself out there even more definitely well you know we're never going to know the, the background story um but so yeah he's quite personal um but yeah he's quite energetic and bubbly like he's a i wish people got to see that side to him because yeah. they go oh geez yeah i feel that as well like i, I spent a bit of time with him and 
yeah, it's like everyone kind of writes him off or like thinks he's this like person you can't really speak to and doesn't won't want to speak to anyone. But if you speak to him, he'll be he'll speak to you nonstop. Really, nonstop. Yeah. yeah. When are we getting him on the podcast? Yeah, but that's that's social. <laughs> no, I, tell, no, I tell him you guys are dicks anyway. <laughs> um, so, but that that side of thing, yeah. So that's kind of like, but refreshing as well. Like, mm. so when we did our first session, we ended up chatting for about two and a half hours, just about all sorts of different stuff. Yeah. And then he's run off to pick up the cones. You know, like he's the first person to go out and get the, the witch's hats that I put out for the oh, session. Wow. He's like, oh, we'll run. And he's run off and he's got him. He's picked him up. And he's, so he's got no God complex. Nah. Nothing. Me and Joel just saying, fuck, we didn't do that. Yeah. No. <laughs> we were like, all right, nah. boy, you got them. See ya. Yeah. yeah. I actually yeah. remember having the God complex going, I'm not touching those cones. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the one thing I'd probably take away from it, like I have never met a more professional athlete in my whole entire career of you know, coaching, running, playing hockey, being in and around, you know, elite and professional athletes, I have never. Wow. And like by a margin, yeah. once you start to understand what he does for his day and, you know, how he sees running, unbelievable. Mm. Unbelievable. That's why he's one of the best of all time, hey? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he's ma- like he's making the most of what he's got. Yeah. Um. And the opportunity that he has, but also he sees it as like, you know, he doesn't understand why others don't do the same. So it's almost like, how, how can you not be doing this? Mm, yeah. It's mm. not like a, I need to do this and, you know, this is, I got to tick every box. He's like, how would you not? Yeah. Why wouldn't you? When we were talking yesterday in our, because you and I had a session together, um, you mentioned that he has this interesting perspective where like a lot of like runners sort of, you know, think, oh, I've got to have a balance outside of running to better my running. So whether it be I I work a little bit part-time or I do uni or something like that. And you said to me, he thinks like there is so many things you can be doing outside of actual physical running training that can still help your running. Yeah. And I thought the most important or intriguing thing was he goes, even if it's like sleeping, meditating, you know, reading about, you know, why you're training a certain way to like educate yourself on what you're doing rather than turning up and just going, okay, this is what I do or I disagree with what I'm supposed to be doing but I don't know so I won't ask the question. Like that sort of stuff was really intriguing because he's like, well, sleep, learn how to have two naps so you can train harder yeah. or, you know, meditate so you can give your body enough rest to go. So he's not like just run and run and run and you've got to just keep running. No, there's like... There's so many other aspects other things, that you can yeah. do that, that are almost taking your mind away from running itself but is giving you the best opportunity to run better. Yeah, wow. Um, which I mm. thought was really cool because it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't just that, again, perception of him like he's just, you know, running all the time and that's all he ever thinks about. No, I mean he's got, you know, he's got a family and yeah. he's got, mm. you know, jobs and he's got responsibilities. Yeah, but he's with him too. Like you, he can relax, can't he, yeah. outside of running? Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, Stewie said he was sinking beers with him. Yeah, well, I didn't want to be the one to say it. Well, Stewie said it. <laughs> yeah, but like, like outside of like the training side, like yeah, and and you can, as yeah, as you mentioned, like he can enjoy himself, and he's yeah. not doesn't have any airs or gracious at all. Like he was there with his green apron on, like yeah, everyone else, and, and stuff, serving out pizzas. Yeah, pretty cool. Like no I'd problem. Like yeah, let's get into some questions. Okay, there you go. Um, so yeah, we'll ask a few questions. So Declan Callahan, what's the top three common running technique deficiencies you see? What's a cue for each? Um, so the top three, I'd say not understanding what your arms do within a running technique and also then not doing the correct movement. Um, arching through your back, like really arching through your thoracic. Um, 
<laughs> it's, it's, which is causing, you know, it causes people different problems. So for you, it's like it's a different issue for, yeah. but it could be a similar position. It's just that I'd say would have to be the most common. Really? Yeah, being that real extended position through thoracic. Um, it's funny, like I went doing those sessions with you and it's just like, that's that's the run tall thing as well. Yeah, it is. Pulling up. Yeah. And like you said, like kind of like feeling like running proud. Yep. But it's actually putting your center of gravity back a little bit, isn't it? It is. And it, then it's limiting, um, you know, lung capacity. It's putting more stress on, you know, for you, diaphragm, because yeah. you add your little movement on top of that. Um, and then even just changing range of motion through, you know, hip extension. So as you start to do that, it can actually influence and affect hip alignment, hip position. But as you, like, as you mentioned, sometimes it's coached. Yeah. So you think, oh, I think I'm doing the right thing. And, and then, yeah. And then the other part is you want to feel like you're putting effort into your run. So the, the easiest thing to do is like I'm going to put tension mm. somewhere through shoulders and back. But that's not actually helping because no amount of force or tension through the upper body is actually touching the ground. So you're really just wasting, <laughs> wasting energy and wasting effort. Yeah. Um, and then like the third most common would be uh, like a lower leg overstride. I think this gets misunderstood as well. So like you think, oh, overstride, well, don't overstride. So, you know, shorten your step. Yeah. But the way you think about running as a movement pattern, like the upper body coordinates with the lower body, but there's two parts to the lower body being, you know, the upper leg and the lower leg. So as you swing forward and no matter what type of good or maybe not so good arm swing um, or you know, counter movement that you are making, you can synchronize into the femur, so at the bottom of the upper leg and the, the, the top of the knee, or you can synchronize or pattern into the foot. So you can actually coordinate your pattern into two different parts. So what that lower leg part is, is actually coordinating into the lower leg. So you're swinging forward and you, you're actually patterning into your foot. Now that becomes the overstride, which then creates a landing. Now you can say, make it shorter, but it's not actually changing what part you're coordinating into. Mm -hmm. So you're just trying to, you know, force a, as we talked about yesterday, like square peg into a round hole to mm -hmm. try and make something yeah. occur when you're not actually understanding what part of the leg you're actually coordinating with or, or patterning with. I think I had that when I first came to see you. I think I was overstriding a little bit because I was getting some weird stuff in my hips. And yeah, we didn't just, it wasn't as, if I went and saw some idiot, they'd probably just say, Oh, just shorten your stride. Shorten your and stride. it's like, that's not going to fix. No. You know, it's, yeah, so it's you were. another problem somewhere else rather than actually, yeah. Yeah, and you were. You were patterned into that lower leg and you weren't necessarily overstriding like some do. Yeah. Um, but you were really patterned into it. And we talked about that, you know, end of races, particularly track races, where you're, you know, flailing with your feet and your lower arms. And that's just <laughs> like, I'm just going to have to do that as much as possible to generate pace. Yeah. Um, which isn't efficient, which isn't smooth, no. uh, which isn't strong. No. That's just like what part are you actually generating your force and your propulsion from and what is it patterned with? Mm -hmm. You even said we were talking about that. You might not like us talking about this, but who gives a shit? Um, <laughs> when we, you were telling me, it was like that race that I did and you, at Collingwood and you just show, saw the video and you're like, what the fuck's going on here? You need some help. Yeah, um, yeah, but yeah. you talked about around the same time or soon after was when Stewie got beaten in the 1500 final at nationals by Jai. Jai. Yeah. And you said, like, obviously, fitness-wise, Stewie's a better athlete, fitness-wise. Simply put, he's, he, he's run 13.05 um, and, yeah, simple as that. But if you watch how they 
run that last like 300 and Stewie obviously was like at the front you know he's fight, sort of fighting he just didn't look like amazing but Jai just like the way and you just said it was simply like he's just the, the, his arms were just creating I don't know if you said like creating more power or what it was but it was just sort of like nothing he never changed his technique it wasn't like okay now I'm going to sprint and then his technique goes all out it was just like a, a slow increase in power or I don't know exactly what yeah, it was. yeah it was pretty yeah. interesting to see so and I vividly remember as well, it's still kind of in my head, like they're running down the back straight because I was watching it on on um, YouTube or whatever it was yeah. and you could just see the two comparisons and Stewie's a little bit, or well, a lot more lower leg dominant and, you know, has to kind of use that. So Sweet. he has to work a little bit hard, harder to maintain pace. Yeah. But yeah, super fit, huge engine. So he can kind of do it at a, at a faster rate than, you know, the majority of the population. But when you watch Jai, and he's patterned into that upper leg and his femur swing is just nice and big and that's generating power but he's also patterned and coordinated into it. So as he wanted to increase, it wasn't this big effort. It is costing him energy for sure Like, and he has to work hard but not in like a a higher rate or a higher cadence sense. It's just a bigger version of a really good movement and that becomes too really clear. Now that doesn't mean that's why he won it Mm. but – probably allowed him to do a better job on, you know, day to day than what Stewie does in a movement capacity. Yeah. The other example I'd use because you brought up, I think it was last week when we were doing the um, the recaps and you talked about Stewie each time for his first 50 meters mm. drops out the back because the majority of the runners he's running against probably use like a, a bigger upper range, more powerful. Mm. So they get off the they get off the mark and go where he's like, Spinning through his yeah, yeah, yeah through his feet and his lower leg and again f- phenomenal athlete having to work really hard. It's like in the cartoons when the the, the <laughs> legs lift and go <laughs> yeah. and then the smoke comes and then they go. Yeah, yeah, and <laughs> and like a lot of the time, I'd love to be able to actually create the pattern for him where he can actually drive off mm. in in sync. You've never seen Stewie? I saw him. Out one night at, no. uh, <laughs> at the World Champs. He came, he came up to you yeah. real drunk and goes, oh, I really want to see Oh, well, I had to actually hold back. Like, so I didn't say something to him. He's like, come on, mate, help. Like, yeah, let let me help you out. No, it wasn't that at all. But yeah, but not in a, in a, in a technique sense. I haven't seen yeah. him, no. But it, it's exactly what you talked about and why he kind of has to work so hard to mm. catch up. But conversely, why Ingebrigtsen hardly looks like he in, in increases in um, cadence or pace or decreases because it's just a big, strong, powerful yeah. movement. Now, it's probably why then he struggles to sprint because he doesn't know how to really turn it over mm-hmm. as well. But he's doing pretty well with he's it. He's doing pretty well, And that's yeah. why he's like at the back. But then all of a sudden, you know, after 80 metres and the, and the back straight, he's like, oh, fuck, how did he get to the front? Mm. Different movements. Powerful movement compared to like a, a turnover of movements. Or, yeah. yeah, we are talking about the two of the world's best. Athletes. Exactly, and it's yeah. like, but, and it is like, but that is the difference between yeah. coming first and an eighth or whatever. Like, um, saving a couple of percent of energy here and there yeah. it can be the difference. Yeah, well, didn't tenth at Con Games run three thirty three? Yeah, pretty sure. Yeah, like that's what we're talking here. It's yeah, like, yeah, crazy. It's, and again, going not back to that's not why he's not you know, higher or whatever or, or why Ingridson is, but it's a, a piece to the puzzle. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd never say it's like the only one or the most important mm. one. It's, it's a piece it's to the puzzle. Piece. Yeah. yeah. Um, Carl Gadsby asks, if you had 10 to 15 minutes to warm up for a run, what would you advise? 
run slowly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We joked about this beforehand, didn't we? And I was like, if you play any other sport, any other sport, what's the first thing the coach does? It says go and do a couple of laps. It's not, you know, do your exercises with your, you know, activated almonds and your your clams. (laughs) Yeah, come on, Grant Fisher. (laughs) Like I understand the necessity for it, particularly for rehab or coming back from injury and just, you know, being really um, conscious and fastidious about it. But jog slowly. You're not changing direction, you know, work into it, ease into it. Um, If anything, you know, do some body weight squats to get some blood moving and blood pumping. Uh, And if you need to actually specifically do it, being, you know, as you're coming back from injury, sure. But just run for five or ten minutes really slowly, small range of motion, almost like you're being lazy, start to get that blood moving. I've just got I've just got the uh the go ahead from you that when I'm like back to normal running, I don't need to do any of that. (laughs) If you you ever see the Kenyans or the Ethiopians exactly any of the Africans they start so slow. And it's like, yeah, just a little shuffle. They're not doing half an hour of exercise before no and they just get going and then by the end they're running fast. But it's just like Slow and just slowly warming the muscles up, so they get more. It's range. Almost like that is their activation. Well, it yeah. is their activation. Yeah. And by three k's in, then they're probably rolling. Yeah. yeah. But it, you know, that first kilometer is probably a minute slower than what you know. Stupidly, I probably do. Yeah. And you know, that's how dumb yeah. it is. Yeah. You know, like that's you how. Still, even you still do that quite often. You really get slow. a shuffle. Yeah. Yeah. I, I start switch, off pretty slow. Your switch is too fast. Yeah, like you get, he likes to shuffle like a five minute K and then he like goes through the K marker and he goes, boom, four minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I, like that's, I mean, that's my thought process because you just, that's the movement you're doing. That's what you're repeatedly doing. The, the times that you're doing um, sessions, speed sessions, tempo sessions. Yeah. Completely understand where that might need some more firing of, mm. or you're doing like the, um, you know, some of the, some drills and skills as a warm up. Um, and, a, and, a, and a movement capacity of bigger ranges of motion and going through those warm-ups, completely understand. But for normal runs and long runs, just, just run easy. Yeah. Just, and give yourself a bit more time than probably what you think you need just to start to get that blood flow through the ranges of motion that you're going to be doing for the next 40, 60, 90 minutes, whatever it is. Um, so this is an anonymous question. How long is the process of changing your technique? Can someone be fixed in six weeks or do they need longer? Um, think, think about any other technique in the world that you think about change, swimming, golf. It takes time and I think but give yourself time and it doesn't have to be like week to week sessions or, you know, every second week. Like I, I really let athletes come to me when they're ready to go again because we want that movement pattern or position to become habitual. So if you do one session, you can't expect everything to have changed because <laughs> – you, you will get improvement from one session, no doubt. And if that's all you want, I completely understand. But if you really want to actually get it to a point where you feel like that is not going to be um, a problem or if it's not going to be like a limiter, yeah, it can take anywhere up to, I don't know, two years just to try and get to that point. But even that point, it can be a refinement. Mm. You know, like I always use the, the the golf swing as an example. Like Tiger Woods still has a technique coach. Yeah. yeah. You know, like he still refines his swing because we're all we're all so critical that you know we think something is happening and then all of a sudden we change it ourselves or we get a blister on our foot, so we start to kind of protect it, and then all of a sudden that movement pattern can start to change. And particularly when we're t- talking about athletes that run anywhere over a hundred kilometers a week, so it doesn't even have to be 
you know, super elites running 180 a week or um, 170 Ks is a lot. Mm. So you start to create different movement patterns and it can start to be influential. So at that point, once you get to a really good movement um, pattern, it'd just be about drawing back into the line, you know, like kind of just bringing it back. And then yeah. it's not as big and it's probably a little bit easier by that stage as well because you can go, okay, just come back to this point or just bring this back or just do this a little bit more. Even something like we talked about yesterday with yours, like it's such a small little change but can actually make a big impact yeah. on your training. Oh, yeah. and That's what I was going to ask Brett as well. When this is something we worked out yesterday, well, I had an awakening. I had a lot of awakenings this year. Um, what do you, in your like, do you call it the recovery phase? So like once your foot comes up, like from, you know. Yeah, toe like off. The toe so, off, toe mm. off, thank you. Um, do you have your foot totally relaxed or is yours slightly sort of stiff, ready to like land again? Like your ankle, a bit more, is it a bit rigid preparing for the land again or is it just totally relaxed? Like I'd say it's a bit stiff. Yeah. So what do you reckon? What's it supposed to be? Pretty relaxed, really. Yeah, well, because it's. I mean, we don't want to hold any tension. <laughs> <to damn it. laughs> oh. I just try to guess the right. No, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Are you like yours is in a pretty good relaxed position. But if if we think about you know someone who does it really well, the Kipchoge is quite loose and relaxed. And there's a couple of parts to it. Like you don't need any tension when you're in the recovery phase, mm. and it's actually allowing you to kind of pick it up and put it down. And your foot's already at an angle, ready to go again. As soon as you start to lift, you're kind of changing the angle and how it approaches, but it's hard to have a real relaxed lower leg and then through that kind of needle lower leg as you're going through recovery if you've got tension through mm, the ankle. Yeah, because I've, I've only had two runs since, obviously the run after our session yesterday and then the run this morning and, yeah, it just feels like everything's just sort of tracking a bit better. I, was, I think I was really like, yeah, stiffening my ankles as like so I was rigid. I don't know why I was doing that. I just never... Well, I'm 28 years old. I've been running pretty much my whole life and yeah. no one has ever said that's not what you should do. So. Well, there's going to be as soon as your foot starts to feel ground, yeah, like all the neural patterning on your feet is going to say, okay, start to create tension. Yes, mm. and that's what I noticed. Yeah, you're not going to land with it all floppy. You'd no. your ankle. No, no, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's like, well, no, and there's a dead landing. Yeah. So the, the, the patterning on your foot, there's like, there's a lot more neural pathways and endings at the front half of the foot and the back half of the foot. Mm -hmm. And as soon as you actually place your foot down, it feels it, even if you've got shoes on. Like without shoes, it even feels it even more. And that's why it's like, oh shit, I've got to like protect myself a little bit more. Put your foot down, creates tension and all of a sudden that calf and Achilles complex creates that tension, it creates elastic energy and then you come back up off the ground. Yeah. If you're in tightness, the angle changes a little bit, you kind of hit a little bit harder and then you still do the same thing, but just add a little bit different, in a little bit different manner, um, and then a different bit load, and you know, at the different length of the calf and Achilles as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yours, that. yours is a little bit more out as well. Yeah, well, that's what we sort of realised that was probably contributing to that knee tracking problem that all the podcast listeners are damn well sick of hearing about. <laughs> um, I think yeah, it's interesting on that point. Like, how can anyone? Obviously, humans are like creatures of habit and how can anyone expect to, you know, say they run a certain way for 10 years and then you go see... It's almost the equivalent of like going to see a masseuse for a massage and they loosen your body and then you go, oh, perfect, don't need one of them ever again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like surely yeah. like, you know, even that, you're going to go back into bad habits. It like, can. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I think that's when it becomes that real kind of drawing back into line. You don't have to see someone as, as regularly. No. Um, but like even so, you know, Brett took a while for that first part to really start to feel a little bit comfortable. Remember and even I, then. Remember I came and saw you 
it was about my and we worked a lot on my arm and you're like yeah this will take a lot a while to like kind of really get the pattern going and I'm like yeah I got a marathon in two weeks yeah and it was, <laughs> oh yeah okay are <laughs> <laughs> like, we pretty conscious then? I was a bad person <laughs> instantly yeah. Like, yeah yeah you are the problem basically. yeah and and the 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 reality is like. And the way I coach, it, like to give yourself the awareness of what you're doing and what what you should be doing. Like the brain then makes a natural choice because, like, okay, well that feels better. And new I want old way, hey? Yeah, new way, old way, and and like that gives you that real internal understanding rather than you know normally we all just get someone saying do that because it's better. Yeah, okay. I should describe that. Sorry for the listeners that don't haven't had a session with you, Paul. One of the ways that you get like us to understand the movement changes you do you get us to sort of go like you, you run out old way which is like the prep what it was like before we'd seen a session ha- had a session and then you know you run back new way and so you're getting your brain can sort of be like okay that's what i was doing wrong now this is what i would do right you know rather than just going and fixing and all that because it's sort of hard yeah and i find that dip, the go, swapping from new way old way new way old way it's like holy shit you become more aware of what needs to happen yeah and because if you don't if you i mean if you don't get given the choice and the comparison, it's really hard to understand mm. why you're supposed to be doing it. Yeah. And the other bit is if you're not, if it doesn't feel a bit better, like if it's freer or lighter, and as you said, you know that that flow or that um, freedom of movement, if it doesn't feel a little bit better, then you're you're less likely to do it. So if we can't quite find what actually feels better or or gets an improvement, we've just got to really kind of keep going until it's like okay. What is it you're doing or what are you thinking about until we can actually get what we're trying to achieve? So then, again, going back to body and ground, if, it is, if it's an improvement, then you'll feel it. And then the brain's like, fuck, that's way better. I want, I want that. But the unfortunate thing is you've got this habitual movement pattern and the muscles firing in a certain manner and that you've done for so long. And then the body's like, okay, well, that's cool that you know, but I've got to take my time mm. to actually change it yeah. because I've done this for so long or I've done this in this way for a while and or, you know, being injured or whatever it may be. So then it's like, okay, well, the brain will know when you're not doing it and then you become your own coach when you're out there. And as you said, now you're like always just thinking, shit, how am I? Yep, cool, I'm in that position. Or, geez, I can't feel, I can't quite hit it at the moment. What is it? What am I doing? But you don't need someone to tell you anymore. Whereas normally like swing your arms or, you know, someone (laughs) tells you to do something, lift your knees and you just think, I can't, you know, like I'm not creating enough time and space to lift my knees and it's just like the worst cue ever. Lift my knees, what do you mean lift my knees? Like (laughs) just fucking run on the spot or, you know, whatever it may be. Um, But those kind of things end up being an outcome. Like you do a better position, your knees lift a bit more, you get a bit more extension, you're like, cool, I can fit, that's great. Mm -hmm. And that's, I mean, that's why that process becomes so much of a, that top-down approach because, I mean, your feet have to relate to the ground and if you're not doing anything differently or you're doing shit stuff at the top, it doesn't matter how you try and relate to the ground because you're not actually being helped. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there you go. Um, Smith Stefan says, if someone's form is disgusting but they're world class, should the athlete keep with the form that feels natural? This is a, I reckon this is a really good question because if we think about um, breaking two, so if I always use this example um, because those three athletes have completely different techniques. Yeah. So you mean breaking two? Not breaking two. Not the Ineos. Yeah. The, no, the, not the Ineos. Yeah, the, yeah, the original one. Yeah. And because we can see everything that goes through that process, we've got a better, you know, better understanding of the process that goes um, that they went through. And um, the only data I use that Chris told me was that you know Kipchoge wasn't picked originally. He wasn't the first five or six athletes chosen to do breaking two. 
because his VO2 max wasn't as high as the other guys. So the other two, um, Bikili and Tedesse. Yeah, um, Tedesse and no, it wasn't uh, No, no, was Bikili. Um, Liese or something. Uh, it's Ethiopian. Decise. Yeah, that's it. I was going to yeah. say we know on this show how much VO2 means. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but, but this is the thing. So those those two huge huge engines like a fair bit more VO2 a fair bit higher than what Kipchoge has. Yeah. Who's faster? Mm. <laughs> so the the question being, you know, like just because they're they are phenomenal athletes and if one once things click, they can actually, you know, or if they're in the, the best possible moment at the best possible time, like they can run phenomenally fast. However, their movement capacity determines that they need a huge engine to actually be competitive. What I'd suggest is, I, I, like, I'd love to get my hands on, um, on one of them, really, yeah. to try and change and improve the, their movements to make the most of the engine. Whereas you think about, you know, Kipchoge, like his movement is almost impeccable, like is mm. it is, and it is repeated from first step until last step of the forty-two k. It's just the movement pattern is dialed in. It's the same. Whether well, some others like Katata, like it starts up up on the toes and running really fast, but by halfway through, because he's a, a lower leg dominant movement pattern, like he can still run fast, but he's having to work super hard now with this, you know, breaking force, ground contact time. So I'd say just because they're competitive doesn't mean they do it really well. So if we could actually improve it and get more out of their engines, I'd actually be afraid of how fast they could go. In some cases, you know, for your case, Brett, I don't want to work with them so that you can still be competitive <laughs> yeah. with them, you know, like if you can move really well, like, oh, fuck, I've got something in my back pocket. Yeah. And for, you know, like for athletes who are trying to be really good, what I'd suggest particularly, you know, I hate to say it, like white athletes who just don't have the background of um, some of the African runners, it's like, what can you do? You can make your technique as good as possible. Yeah. You know, Sally McLennan was not the fastest 100-meter sprinter, mm. but technically over the hurdles, yeah, so good. impeccable. So if they had a flat race, she's not winning. Yeah. yeah. But the technique gave her the ability to be world champion and that's the whole thing. Same with distance running. If you can have like an impeccable technique in a range of motion, in a, in a position, then you might not have to need the engine. Mm. Yeah. It is interesting where people say, because, you know, people have said stuff before. It's like, you know, say Usain Bolt or like Michael Phelps, like, you know, and, they're, and it's like, oh, biomechanically, they weren't absolutely sound. And it's like, well, if they were more sound, they just would have broken the world record by even, even more. The thing about, like, say, Bolt, the technically sound, he actually is pretty technically sound. Yeah, it's Brent just that he's. Say that, so. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but like, he's, he's, his limbs are longer. Like, it's just not, he's not the same prototype. Yeah. You know, but as his movements, like he has a little bit of rock, a little bit of upright, but not too much, not like others. Whereas some, a lot of the Jamaicans actually have like a really strong forward position in their sprinting. He wasn't quite to that. But as far as the movement capacity, he's pretty good. It's just looked different because he had such long legs and long limbs. Yeah. But what do you know? Like he's quick. Mm. You know, so well, how can you say he's not technically sound? Sure. Yeah. I shouldn't have said that. No, not you. No, no, because no, <laughs> I think it's just because it's different. For sure. It's, it is just something that people say, you know. They, yeah. I've, I've seen that. Like you watch YouTube videos. Yeah, and stuff. yeah. Um, I think after that, and you've answered that question. If you, when this episode goes live, you have an email from Stewie McSwain, I think. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe we'll just have another night out. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Turn me into a 1240 guy. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, next one from Mitch Wilcox. How do we safely load technique adaptations that load different areas of the body? I think um, by small incremental changes and, and that becomes why it's like a real piece by piece as well. So that if you kind of slow change that is an improvement. So if it is an improvement, you're loading better parts as well. So, you know, more major muscles um, in less ground contact time or less breaking force. So there's an improvement somewhere, but there is an adaptation to it. So it's a small one mm-hmm. until you can get used to it and then a small one. There is sometimes where I have some people who are, you know, you know, back from say maybe repeated injury who have a really um, unhelpful movement pattern and they're starting from scratch where we can actually say let's get real almost aggressive with the change because you're coming from nothing but then really conscious of, okay, it's got to be a real piece-by-piece piece increase in amount that you do. But if you're running and you're consistently running and then you're coming to make the change, it's just being aware that it's just a small change. So your body can kind of adapt with it and it's a better portion of the body so it can actually adapt in a better manner as well. Um, but yeah, it's just small parts. Uh, Paulie Marchant asks, best tips for keeping shoulders and arms relaxed, <laughs> particularly when running hard? So I know Paul. So I didn't know this one. Um, he does have quite like a, a, a tense position through shoulders and through scapulars. And the big thing I always think about, like it's hard just to say relax. Yeah, and we talked about this yesterday, about actually. Yeah, we did. So. It's like, just relax. And you think everyone normally, particularly with arms and shoulders, they drop their wrists. Like they're just like floppy through the hands. I said to Paul yesterday, Brett, when like we, was, we were talking about that thing. And you know, like when you're back, when you're young and you're racing or cross country and people are yelling out like, just stay relaxed or something <laughs> mm-hmm. like that. I always thought that meant mental. Like relax mentally, not physically. Do you know what I mean? So it's like, yeah. you know, it's actually like, I always thought it's like, you know, don't stress out. But it's like actually, like when people say that, it's like. But that didn't well, work for you either. Yeah, exactly. It's about what muscles are on and engaged that shouldn't be. Target that muscle or muscles specifically and switch them off. So it's like if you are running with, you know, your traps switched on, you're going to be lifting your shoulders. So actually getting understanding, what does it feel like to specifically target those muscles and switch them off? all of a sudden those shoulders will look relaxed. So for someone who'll see you running and you've actually got to switch off, they're not going to be saying relax because it looks a little bit more relaxed. The other part is as soon as you run in a manner that is a larger lever, like the larger dominant part of the body, upper leg, upper arm, moving together slowly, it looks relaxed as well because it is a smoother movement. And again, you won't get someone saying run relaxed. So it's, it's both a muscles that are switched on that shouldn't be, but also a movement. So then you can actually move really freely, which looks relaxed too. So there's a couple of bits to it. So you haven't picked up any or, any of the three, <laughs> the mind or the, the body. <laughs> yeah. um, and then another anonymous one, who has the best technique in MTC? Oh, this is a bit rough, isn't it? I feel, no, I'm not going to answer that one. <laughs> No. Okay. No. Well, uh, Ala Tyrell. <laughs> yeah. See, he's thrown me under the bus. To close out Al- the questions, <laughs> Anna, Alex. Asks, who has the better technique, Brett or Joel? Look, I'm sorry, Joel, but Brett right, does. <laughs> Thanks for coming. Back. <laughs> nah, uh, yeah. You've had a bit more to work on. You've come from a bit further back. 
Yeah. I remember one of the first things when we started working because it was about that lower limb and, you know, working really hard. You even said when you go out to sometimes Stradbroke or some of the places when you're doing reps and you're having to run at like a cadence of like 220 to keep up and these guys are able to hold, you know, 190 or whatever it is like at a higher pace mm. and you're like, I'm just thrashing. And yeah. the reality is because it's such a shorter movement from a shorter position, a shorter limb being that knee to foot, you, you have to, inevitably you have to do more of them just to keep up. For sure. So I think you've probably been coming from a further point back, but you're starting to get there. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. But I also have something that I think is limiting me as well. Which, Your, yeah, yeah. Like with, like with my right side and my seat. Yeah. So yeah. it's... Uh, what about yeah. 50 things limiting me, mate? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then you're running. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I think, Paul, that's... I reckon that's been one of our best Q&A sessions yet. I was... Finally, some knowledge has come to <laughs> Honestly, yeah. I was so interested like the whole way. Yeah. But usually I've got a, like a big dickhead sitting on the other side of the <laughs> mic for these sessions that I'm just not interested in. So that was, that was fascinating. Yeah. Um, to close out, what would, what's the easiest channels for our listeners um, to either find out more or how can they you know, book a session with you or how do they go about that? Um, so the easiest way just to kind of get more of an understanding of what I do or who I've worked with or that sort of stuff is, you know, <laughs> at Instagram, at The Balance Runner, so all, all one word, um, or on the website, uh, which is tbrunner.com. Yeah, we'll add these uh, to the show notes. Yeah, cool. And, and look, you can find out what the sessions involve or if, if you have inquiries, you just do it through there as well. Um, but, you know, like a lot of people just like to follow on and have a look at, you know, some of the stuff we're doing and, and then kind of go from there, which is kind of cool as well. Awesome. Any questions, yeah. yeah. Shoot them through. Uh, thank you so much. No worries. Thanks Thank so you guys. Thanks for coming on, Paul. Thanks for having me. It's been good.